Welcome back, everyone, to episode seven of the Life and Lit podcast. And this is our third feature for Women's History Month. So for the month of March, we are going to be featuring female authors and some of our favorite books featuring female characters and written by female authors. So for this week, we are going back to a dual format where Paige and I both have read a different book and we're gonna talk about that. So a little bit less spoilers this time, um, but our books do have one thing in common. They are both written by black female poets who have been featured at inaugural presidential or presidential inaugurations. I guess I flip-flopped that around a little bit. Um, so we made a promise, I guess, back in February that we were going to try to consciously read more literature written by Black authors and thus feature that on our podcast. So we're super excited to do that this week. And the book that I have chosen for this week is I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. So I will give a brief history about Maya Angelou, which I think most everyone, that should be a household common name. Hopefully it is. And hopefully you have (laughs) heard a little bit about her, even if you haven't maybe read anything by her, hopefully you at least know who she is because she truly is um, one of the powerhouses and Trailblazers for Black Authors. Um, And this book was really cool because it is, I knew it was about her life. I had read it previously um, growing up, and then I have it on my bookshelf, so I wanted to pull it out and read it again. So I um, reread it this past week, and it's a perfect travel size book because it fit, it's like physically compact, so it fit my purse, which was wonderful. Those are my favorite. Yes, I did. You, <laughs> you always have to have a purse book, right? <laughs> right. And sometimes like hardback books that are huge. I have a large purse, but it still is bulky. Yes. But I noticed that when I would take it to work or take it somewhere where I knew I might have downtime. I was like, this is the perfect purse book to travel with. Um, and it's still it's well over 200 pages. So it's still a long book. It's just physically smaller which I like I kind of wish all books could be like that me Um, too but it's the first in her seven autobiographies which I didn't realize the first time I read it that there were more maybe that was just me being young and stupid but now I'm like super excited to read the rest of them um so yeah, it was super interesting. But this book details her early life. So Maya Angelou was born in 1928, and she passed away in 2014 at the age of 86. Um, like I mentioned before, she was the second poet to do a reading at a presidential inauguration, and she was the first Black poet to do so. And she spoke at um, Bill Clinton's inauguration in 1993 oh, she, wow. yeah so I thought I that didn't was, know that yeah I thought that was super cool and I didn't know it either until I was doing some research and I thought that's a cool like tie-in that you're also going to talk 
about um, Amanda Gorman, who the same thing. So I'm like, that's so cool how that connection um, and how I feel like Maya really paved the way for future future poets. Um, she wasn't just a poet, though, which I also found really interesting. So she was a poet. She was also an author of her autobiography autobiographical works um she was an activist she worked with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. she was an actress she worked in some films and in some musical productions and then she was also a director and that was one of her goals was to wow a film and she got to see that through so I thought that was so cool that she is most known I think for her poems and her literature but she had all these other facets to her um yeah a woman of many talents that's yes. amazing uh one thing I loved when I was reading about her and you know going through some interviews and standout quotes that she had that her books talk about some hard topics which I'll get into when I talk about the book um and even things in the future books that I haven't read but there was a time where she worked as a sex worker and worked as a pimp and how that's not, that's not typically something that people advertise and that's glamorous, but she said that she made a point to include those stories because she doesn't want young people to think that if they make mistakes or they do something that's not great, that they're the only ones. So she had something about like, I don't pretend that there's no skeletons in my closet or that I don't even have a closet to have skeletons in. She said, I just put it all out there so that other people know that it's okay to have these things that you're not proud of or that you you don't like or that the, the world thinks are not great. And I just thought that was so inspiring that, you know, so many people like to cover up anything that might be a little bit salacious from their past. And, exactly. And they feel like, like they need to be perfect, like to society's yes. standards. Exactly. And she's just like, nope. I am who I am and and this is my story and I'm going to tell it exactly how it is. So I just really loved that, um, loved that quote and it made me excited to read the rest of her books. Yeah, Um, that's really cool. Yeah. You go, Maya. I know, like, I love it. So just some other fun facts. Um, In addition to the books of poetry and the autobiographies. She also published two cookbooks, which I just think is so cool. And I want to get them now. <laughs> I have a cookbook collection above my stove and I'm like, I definitely need one of these. Cause I had no idea that she had a cookbook. Yeah. Um, her last book was published at 85 when she was 85, uh, just one year before her death. And it was the last, the seventh novel in her, autobiographical series um she was the first black female streetcar conductor in san francisco and that was a goal that she set out to do she wanted to do that she had was living in san francisco at the time with her mother and grandmother um and she just liked the streetcar conductors and she said i want to do that so at 16 she became the first one. Oh, that's awesome yeah. she's very determined i love that Yes, and that's a theme from the book, which we'll get into. Um, But like I said, she dabbled in acting, um, writing, obviously, directing. And she's also a three-time Grammy winner. 
and was nominated for a Tony Award, which I thought was just so cool. The Grammys, um, she won for Best Spoken Word with her poetry. So I just love that, that she got to be recognized. Um, she had her own line of Hallmark greeting cards, which... Oh, cool. I, I know. didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't either. And I'm like, how many times have I picked up a card and maybe it was written by her and I just didn't know it? Um, yeah. I think that's so cool. And then lastly, she received a letter from Tupac Shakur's mom. So <laughs> one of her, I know this is so random, but when I was reading about it, I was like, oh, I have to include this. Um, so one of her acting credits was that she was in the film Poetic Justice from 1993 that starred Tupac and Janet Jackson. And the story goes, or what I got from the internet, was that during that time, Tupac was, like, going through a lot of struggles and just not not being the greatest version of himself. And so Maya pulled him aside and kind of talked to him and was like, hey, you know, you need to get, get yourself together and, and stop doing these things that are bad for you. I don't know exactly what he was doing, but it was just stated that he was going through a rough time. And so she took the time to kind of talk to him and counsel him while they were on this movie set together and I guess it helped him kind of turn his life around enough that his mom wrote her a letter basically saying thank you for taking this time to connect with my son and and put your two cents in because it really helped him so that's so cool I know she's so cool that's so awesome (laughs) and how cool to say like for Tupac to say yeah she she gave me advice or I don't know. I just think that was so neat. And it really shows her character that she wants to look out for other people, but also other black artists and try to help them um, help them along. So I just thought that was so neat. That is cool. She's a badass. She really is. And <laughs> I love it. Like I already knew of her because um, my mom had a lot of her poetry and stuff growing up. And so I had knew about her and like I said, I read this book probably in high school or college. I don't even remember when I bought it. Um, but I love, with so many things, I like to reread things now because I have a totally different view of it now as an adult. Um, but I will get into I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. So, like I said, this is the first of her um, seven autobiographies, and it kind of gives her life story from being a little girl starting around three years old up until she's age 17, which was about 1944. Um, It's classified by some people as autobiographical fiction because it reads more like a novel. She includes conversations um, and it's almost set up in a story like a series of little vignettes like each chapter kind of deals with its own little scenes Um, it reminded me a lot actually of homegoing about how each chapter like I said is is its own little story and scene together but then you read them all together in this novel and it it really paints the whole picture of her life Um, so when I was researching this I saw a lot of people kind of going back and forth on is it a true autobiography or is some of it a little bit fictionalized? Um, and she did say that there were some things, 
you know, where she changed the timeline around in the story so that the themes would go together more. Like, they're all true events, but she did take a little bit of liberties with, obviously, the dialogue isn't maybe exactly word for word verbatim of what happened. Um, And then some of the stories in the book are mentioned out of order as to how they happened in her real life. Um, But she referred to them as her autobiographies. So that is what I am going with. Um, And I did think it was interesting that this book is, is or has been banned in some schools and libraries um, because there's a pretty upsetting rape scene in which most rape scenes are upsetting or all rape scenes are upsetting. Um, So I think that's what people have taken issue with, which I personally don't agree with because I read it as an adult and it is very upsetting. Um, But it's basically, it tells the story about how she was molested and then raped by her mother's boyfriend. And it's very hard to read because she was only eight at the time that that happened. And it had a very profound impact on her. Um, But it does a great job of explaining the way that abusers manipulate children and prey Mm -hmm. on children and how he said, if you tell anyone, I'm going to kill your brother. And her brother was her best friend in the whole world. They were so close. Right. And he would go in there and, and do things. And then he would pour water on the bed and make it look like she wet the bed and, you know, threatening. It just, it was very, upsetting but also realistic and I thought you know if a junior high student reads this and they see a similarity in their own life and they make that connection of what's happening to me at home is not okay then I guess why would you want to why would you want to hide children from that because exactly it's so it's so easy to see how abusers can manipulate children and put that fear in them and so why wouldn't you want someone to, to read this in this controlled setting where you know it's a novel, but at least you can be thinking, hey, this reminds me of, you know, what happened to me when I was a kid that I've never told anyone about. Because in the, in the end, she does end up telling her mother and, and has to go to court with her abuser and um, all this stuff. But I just thought, why would you want to hide that? Because that could help help someone. I mean, obviously, exactly. I think, yeah need to be age appropriate but I'm just like it it hurts me to think that that could do a lot of good and instead people are trying to hide things away because you can't hide all of the bad things in this yeah world. I think people try to censor things way too much especially in literature like just because it's hard to read or it's a tough you know, or a sensitive subject doesn't mean that you should ban it. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's a story that needs to be told. Mm-hmm. Like you said, in case somebody is going through a similar situation and they recognize themselves in that character and, you know, seek the help that they need, or even just that story is so important to see how she processed it and how. Mm-hmm she got her justice when she went to court and kind of the growth in that story rather than just, you know, the event that happened that was hard to read. But I think the entire storyline and the growth that 
she went through in that is the important part. And you can learn so much from that. So I just hate when people ban something because it's a sensitive subject, you know, maybe put a disclaimer on it mm-hmm. or, you know, like you said, some age limits or some categories, but, you know, don't just ban it because it's hard to read. Exactly. Um, especially with it being such an important subject, like you said, and you're exactly right. It translates to her resiliency. Um, yes. Because a lot of when I was looking up, you know, Googling fun facts or little known facts on a couple different lists, it popped up about how she was mute for several years as a child. And that's talked about in the book, but that was her trauma response to what happened to her. It was directly after this rape that she stopped speaking for several years. Um, And then that's one of the, the stories in the book is how, her grandmother who she and her brother were living at um living within stamps arkansas the town that she grew up in um her grandmother saw what was happening and how she had withdrawn and wasn't speaking you know she was doing well in school on anything written but she would never speak up she wouldn't talk to hardly anyone um and so her grandmother encouraged her to go kind of befriend an older woman in the town because she thought she would be a good influence. And this woman was because she, they both had a love for reading and books. So she would go over to her house and she would share books with her from her own personal library. And then she would say, okay, you go home and read this. And when you come back next week, you're going to recite it for me, recite part of the lines and part of the poems so that really helped her get back out of her shell and get back into speaking. So yeah, See, that's such an important story that needs to be told, you know, exactly. And to let people know, and especially children, if, if they were to be in that situation that, you know, how you respond is valid and it's okay, but there are other ways that there are ways you can overcome this and it, something horrible happened it- to you. But you can still, you know, on your own time and when you're ready, you can work forward and still have a very fulfilling life. Yes, absolutely. An incredibly important message. Yes. Don't ban books. (laughs) Yes, don't ban books. (laughs) In conclusion. Yeah, nothing burns me up more. And it's like, I've seen so many things because I think there's a, a banned book week somewhere in the calendar, which we'll have to find that and feature it. But like nothing makes me want to read a book more than when I find out that it has been on some kind of banned book list yes I'm like I gotta know what's in there yeah (laughs) and what's so scandalous and I want to see for myself and I'm like usually it's 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 nothing nothing (laughs) bad and I think about almost all like classic works have been on that list at some point for some reason in some town and it's just mind-boggling to me Um, but some of my other favorite stories that she had well I guess my very favorite one um, was when she was going to work for a white woman so a, a lot of the story takes place in Stamps Arkansas which is what she considers her hometown but they kind of travel into St. Louis 
where her mother lived for a little while, and then also in California where her mom lived for a little while. But a bulk of it takes place with her grandmother, who she calls Mama, um, in Stamps, Arkansas. And like I said, this follows up until the year about 1944. So everything is very segregated. Um, but at one point she is working for a white woman um, who has like a housekeeper maid, but um, she's just kind of helping along with her. And so her full given name is Marguerite. And when she's out serving this white woman and her friends on the porch, they ask her what her name is. And she said, oh, that the woman says, oh, that's Marguerite. And one of her friends says, I just, I just don't know how you deal with a, a big long name like that. You should call her Mary. Because that's just too much of a mouthful to say Marguerite. And so then the woman that she's working for starts calling her Mary. Oh my and gosh. Obviously this upsets her because she's like, that is not yes. my name. And she, like her blood is boiling as would mine. And so this goes on for, I don't know, a couple of days or a week. And she finally realizes kind of how to get back at her. But I guess this woman had some, this one shrine of serving bowl that she loved the most. And uh, Maya was carrying it and purposely dropped it. <laughs> And it shattered and this woman just comes in and is screaming and her friends are over and they're like, what happened? What happened? Who did it? Was it Mary? And she goes, no, it was Marguerite. She did it. And she starts calling her the N word and all those bad things. And she's like, it got a little hairy, but the ending line of the chapter was, um, you know, she's calling her all of these horrible names. And she goes, Mrs. Cullinan was right about one thing. My name was not Mary. <laughs> and it just cracked me yes. up I just loved it so much that she got got a little bit of justice um yeah you know what that reminds me of what the scene in the help when she brings the pie yes. have you seen that <laughs> yes <laughs> one of my all-time favorite movie scenes is when she brings her the pie Absolutely. and oh I love it well and it's like because how how dehumanizing and demoralizing absolutely to, to think that you can just give someone another name because their name does not suit you right it's too I long just, to say yeah like, like what how condescending can you be and rude and I love that as a young young person even then she's like no I'm not gonna take that so so yeah I just love the book that it's full of little snippets like this from her childhood and most of them have their own little themes within themselves um but then they all again kind of tie back together um and a lot of it of course deals with you know the racism that she faced growing up and that's why I think that it's something that so many people identified with and maybe why her novel has become, this one specifically, has become so timeless and so classic because it was a way that young Black Americans could could see themselves or could 
see their childhood represented in literature. Um, yes. Like Oprah Winfrey wrote a really nice forward to the copy that I have. Um, I think the book was first published in the 60s, maybe late 60s. Um, but there was a, a forward by Oprah in the front of the copy that I have. And that was a lot of what she talked about is how much she really resonated with this book and this reading this felt like she was reading things about her own childhood and that's why she connected to it so well. It's so important to have a voice like that for you, especially as a young child. Um, And I think it's so important to, you know, put those voices out there and not ban them. Um, Exactly. Because you can see how much of an effect it had um, on on young people in that generation. Exactly. And it just makes things so timeless. And, you know, how many people did she inspire? And she's continuing to, to inspire. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's an easy read. Like I said, it's a compact book. Um, and I reread it this last week because she's really funny and witty. Like she's dealing with some hard, she'll have a one story that's really kind of a harsh topic, like the rape scene or like someone yeah. being just overtly racist to their family, which is horrible. Um, and then the next scene, she's talking about how her dad took her on a trip down to Mexico and he they went to some cantina party and he got really drunk and she had to drive and she had never driven a car before ever and just the way she was writing about it was so funny (laughs) (laughs) like I don't even know how to describe it it was just so funny and witty and like she was poking fun at herself and how she just felt like the coolest person on the earth because at, at 14 she was driving this car through Mexico and, and she had done the unthinkable <laughs> and then you hear, you know, the car's bunny hopping along and stalling out <laughs> and, and then she ends up hitting someone with it. <laughs> but just the way, the style of writing, just I could see it so clearly and I could just picture this 14-year-old girl having to drive this car for the first time in Mexico, no less. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine doing that myself. I'd be... <laughs> oh yeah well and then I think like I could drive a stick shift if I very much had to my mom and dad <laughs> taught me a little bit and then one of our friends in high school let me drive his around but like it would not be pretty but back then that's all they had so she <laughs> she's trying to figure out these two pedals thing and how to make it go it was just I was cracking up listening to it and I was like you go girl because I would be doing the same thing now as a grown adult Yes, who has has driven before, but she would arguably be doing a better job than I would. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. It was just so funny. And so, yeah, I just love the, the humor and, and the way that she perfectly writes about childhood and, and how things are so basically writing from a child's perspective, even though she wrote this as an adult, I just think she really captured the feelings of being a kid and how things feel and the events that are happening and how you don't understand. But then later you look back and think, 
okay, I get it now. So it's just a great book. I definitely recommend it. Um, and of course, her poetry is wonderful and iconic as well. So, well, you've convinced me. I don't think yes. I've ever read it. Read all of her autobiographical works. I know. I'm excited to read um, the rest of them. Because like I said, I, I had known about this one as being an icon and read it once before, but I didn't know that she, that it had some of, you know, sort of a continuation. So I'm excited right. to see that. See that Because she has had a crazy life. Like I saw one quote when I was researching about um, basically like everyone should read, read her works just to see all the things she goes through, but then also be glad that half you haven't even gone through half of what she's gone through. And it's true because she, it's just crazy. The things, (laughs) the things that she's seen and gotten to do, some of them good, some of them bad. Um, She just had a very full life. That's awesome. This sounds like a great book. Yeah. So what is your book for this week? So as you previously mentioned, I chose a book by Amanda Gorman. It's a book of poems called Call Us What We Carry. And I think it's kind of ironic how you chose Maya Angelou and I chose Amanda Gorman without knowing what book the other person was going to choose. Mm -hmm. And they're incredibly similar, (laughs) you know. Amanda Gorman cites Maya Angelou as one of her biggest influences on her poetry and her voice and her life because she is, you know, her life is a kind of a reflection of that. You know, she Mm -hmm. is a human rights activist. She is a poet. She's a very strong woman. You know, she's accomplished so much. You know, she just turned 24 on March 7th, which, hey, birthday buddy. You know, she can yeah. be your birthday buddy. That makes me feel, like, so unaccomplished, though. I know. Oh my gosh. I, when I saw she was 24, I was like, oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's I've good. done some things, too. Have I been the inaugural poet uh, in no. the 2020 <laughs> inauguration? No, but, you know, I've done some things. <laughs> oh, man. Um, she recently graduated from Harvard University, which is just incredibly impressive. And she also overcame a speech impediment. She had um, difficulty pronouncing the letter R. And she also has an auditory processing disorder where she's incredibly hypersensitive to sound. And she sought out poetry as kind of an inexpensive way of expressing herself. She was raised by a single mother and that's, you know, kind of what she chose from her for herself from an early age. And I think it shows an incredible amount of strength to have, you know, the speech impediment and the auditory processing disorder and still pursue poetry and have that passion for poetry because that requires you to speak in front of large crowds. Mm-hmm you know, with her success, where she spoke to a large crowd at the 2020 inauguration and just the strength she had to have to go up and perform. I just think that's incredible. I love that. And it's that thing where 
kind of, you know, you've got two choices in life. You could let this be your greatest hindrance or you could turn it around and you could turn it into your strength where she really like tackled it head on and used that as a way to overcome a challenge in her life and turn it into something beautiful that she's great at. And I love, I think there's so many, like I've heard that from other people, I guess, is that reading and speaking aloud is really a great way to overcome whether it's a speech impediment or a hearing issue. Um, So I think that's, yeah, that's so awesome that she took that upon herself to, to overcome her challenges through poetry. And then on the flip side, continue to use that. Yes. And she's been quoted to say that she doesn't view her speech impediment as a crutch. Rather, she sees it as a gift and a strength. So I think that's just absolutely an incredible mindset. And I'm sure she's, in, you know, inspired so many young people to mm-hmm. see her up there and reciting flawlessly this beautiful poem. You know, at the inauguration, she recited the now famous poem, The Hill We Climb. And I would never have guessed that she had a speech impediment. So I think that's incredibly powerful. And they asked her too, and um, in an interview on CBS, you know, she says as a form of speech therapy, she would sing the song Aaron Burr, sir, from Hamilton, which has a oh, lot of R's. Yeah. I love it. I think that's awesome. You know, um, <laughs> so Hamilton fans out here. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And then also she is an incredibly nervous performer, which again, if you've not seen the video of her performing the hill we climb, I absolutely recommend it. It's incredibly powerful and inspiring, but Mm -hmm. she is incredibly nervous when she performs. And so she actually has a mantra that she recites to herself and it's inspired by a song from the Disney movie Moana called Song of the Ancestors, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which again, Hamilton fan, shout out here. And in the song, it, it goes, I'm the daughter of the village chief. We're descended from voyagers. And then she has changed it to kind of fit her life and herself. And then she says, I'm the daughter of black riders who are descended from freedom fighters who broke their chains and changed the world. They call me. To remind herself that her ancestors are all around her whenever she's performing. That was really cool. I love that so much. Yeah. And just, you know, it's inspiring to see somebody who acknowledges her fears of, Mm -hmm. you know, performing and the fact that she has the speech impediment and she still continues to pursue, pursue her dream. I think that's amazing. And speaking of dreams, she has also um, not denied the fact that she's interested in running for president as early as 2036, which is when she would be her first eligible. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really cool. I love seeing very ambitious women, you know, in the news, you know, and they're being they're being promoted and they're being um, lifted up for their accomplishments. And I just love to see that. I love that too. And I, I love how 
I see, like, I hear so many similarities between what you've said and what I read, but then to think, like, at the the time that I know why the cage bird sings takes place, they were not, they would never have dreamed of an African-American president. But right. then to hear this girl say, I want to be, I want to be president as soon as I'm able. It's just awesome to see yes. how, how things have have grown and it's inspiring um, absolutely even and not with the only, challenges but yes and not only an african-american president but an african-american female president yes. yes which would be you know history making obviously mm-hmm. um but her book is different from yours in the sense that it is a collection of poems so this is also, you know, you said we challenged ourselves back in February to read more works by uh, Black authors. And I've also kind of told myself to challenge myself this year to read outside my normal genres of, you know, obviously historical fiction and, and uh, kind of mysteries that I usually stick to. But poetry was never really something that I had an interest in. You know, I acknowledge the talent of poets, but it was just never something that I found myself wanting to sit down and read. So this was, again, just kind of taking on that task of challenging myself and going outside of my comfort zone. And I'm extremely glad I did because this book is incredibly powerful. It's about 200 pages and it has... Uh, different parts the each part kind of has a different theme and it starts with the uh, part one is requiem and it's all a collection of poems about covid which is very relevant and just kind of how it's affected our social lives and just how we've lived our lives and how our lives have changed in the past two years now and so that was it was hard to read because it brought up a lot of you know maybe some unwanted memories about the pandemic but it was also a very relevant and powerful read and she just has some really great lines and here that made me stop and think like I would read a section of a poem and I would stop and and just think about it because she has some very powerful words like there's one about COVID where she says There was another gap that choked us, the simple gift of farewell. Goodbye, by which we say to another, thanks for offering your life into mine. By goodbye, we truly mean, let us be able to say hello again. Which, yeah, that was just beautiful. And And then perfectly captures that whole time. Because, yeah, like, you didn't know when you would see people again. And it was it's really hard to deal with. Yes. You know? Yes. And then later in the same poem, she says, by hello, we mean, let us not say goodbye again. Yeah. And I just love the way that's phrased. It's so beautiful and pure. And it really made you think how COVID rocked everyone's world, but also made us appreciate the little things more. And made us appreciate being able to see our friends and family. And when we say goodbye 
to have maybe a little bit more meaning. And, you know, I hope to see you again soon because there was a time when a lot of us went into quarantine and we didn't see a lot of people. So that was very powerful to me. Um, and very mature words from such, I feel old saying this, but, you know, from such a young author and poet. So in this poem entitled School's Out, she talks about how it felt to be a student during COVID and how you don't have the normal celebrations that you have with your your friends and especially graduating. You kind of miss out on that big life event because of COVID. Like I know for myself, I missed out on my master's degree graduation. Um, which was kind of a big blow when it happened, um, but moved on. So in this poem, at the very end, it says, graduation day. We don't need a gown. We don't need a stage. We are walking beside our ancestors. Their drums roar for us. Their feet stomp at our life. There is power in being robbed and still choosing to dance. I thought that was extremely powerful and positive, you know, to take something that's so disappointing that you worked for for so long and to still look on the positive side of things. Yes. And I love that because it's, it's that same thing where you can let this be the negative that defines you in your college career, or you can spin it as a positive. Um, And I think so many people resonate with that and you know I I just guess I have taken for granted all of the quote-unquote normal school experiences we had whether it was grade school up into college you know I've talked to people younger than me that I work with and their college experience was so different from mine even in the same town at the same school and and I'm like oh did you go do this or did you go to this place or blah 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 and they're like no, all of that, you know, was closed down because of COVID. And it's just crazy to think about. Um, and especially with little kids, like my mom's a second grade teacher. And I think at the end of February, um, Illinois lifted the mask mandate. And so yes. they don't have to mask in the schools anymore. And I said, was this the first time some of your kids had been at school without masks? And she said, yes, some of them, because I guess it was their kindergarten year would have been when all the, this started. So they, wow. they never went back at the after the third quarter of their kindergarten year. And then the next time they went back, their mask fell. I'm like, I bet that feels so good for, you know, the kids to see you smile and all yes. of that. It's, it's crazy to think about. There's been students that don't know what that's like now, um, but I'm glad that we're we're trending down and at a place where we can kind of get back to some of that normalcy. Um, but I'm yeah, hoping I think it, it continues this way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that her poem definitely will hit home for a lot of, a lot of students that were kind of robbed of that traditional experience, but hopefully it leaves them feeling positive. Yeah. And overall, this book does have a more somber tone. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the poems, you know, about, the COVID experience and some race issues 
in America and about war. Um, so it's it's a very somber book, but then you have moments of you know positivity like that that really just kind of push push the message home that even in some hard days like we experience, you know, there is something good to look forward to. I love that. I love hopeful books, you know, even if they are, like you said, dealing with hard topics or coming through bad things when you can find that silver lining and, and still find some, some good in the bad or some lemonade in the lemons. But Exactly. And there's one uh, in the section that's more about, you know, some racial issues in America, that section is titled Fury and Faith. There's the uh, poem titled Fury and Faith, and it starts out, you will be told this is not a problem, not your problem. You will be told now is not the time for change to begin, told that we cannot win. And that's just, you know, kind of her saying that you're going to be told, you know, to wait and that it's not your issue, that you don't need to worry about it, but to stand up anyway for what you believe in. And she's just really some very powerful sections in her in her poems that really make you stop and think. And, you know, she... The overall theme that I felt in this book was, like you said, you know, finding the positivity in some dark times, but also to stand up for what you truly believe in and to not let other people, um, you know, quiet you and prevent you from fighting for what you believe in. And it shows so much courage because yes it is so easy to sit in comfort and say that's not my problem or yeah or you know someone else will do something about that I don't need to worry about it because someone else will well no maybe someone else won't so you need to take it on yourself do the right thing people like yes overall don't be afraid to to make something your problem whether it's trivial or something really great because that's what we need in this world because when everyone says it's not my problem, someone else will handle it. It gets pushed so far down the line that it never gets handled. So I love that she's inspiring people to she is to make things a problem and to make noise and stand up for what you believe in. Because somebody's got to do it, so it might as well be us. Yes, and there's the cool thing about the poems is it's not just written as like normal text there's some written as kind of like a text message exchange and there's some written you know kind of as a diary entry uh, one about america that is written in the shape of the u.s capitol so it keeps it like very visually interesting and there's one entitled america and it's you know written on the american flag and it starts uh um, a house divided cannot stand to be divided then is to be devastated and I love that message because I feel like right now it's a very divided time um, not only in America but in the world but to see those words you know if if we stay divided it's not going to work it's never going to work and you can 
apply that to really any aspect in your life. Um, and that's just her call for unity is very inspiring. And it goes on to say, this is not the nation we built, at most not the nation we've known. And then at the very end, it says, when told we can't make a difference, we'll still make a sound. Which is like you said, she's you know saying, make the noise when people tell you to be quiet and really stand up for what you believe in. I love that. And I love that you mentioned this, like, stylistic differences. And I think as a kid, that's one thing that put me off of poetry just because it was so, I was so used to just reading a straight book that it was hard like for Shakespeare. me. Yeah, like, it was hard for me to, comp- like, physically and literally comprehend in some of the ways that those things were written. But yes. now as an adult, I think it's so intriguing to think, okay, why did they choose to to break the lines in this pattern? Or why did they choose to format it this way? Yes. And it gives so much freedom and creativity versus, you know, just an, I say just a novel, like I read novels all the time and I love them, obviously, but it's a, just a totally different experience. And I love to think about why and how much creativity that poetry lends to words. Yes. And there's one even about COVID written in the shape of a face mask. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And she's just in, incredibly creative. Um, and this one, you know, there's some longer poems. You know, she talks about the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918. She talks about, you know, some different wars that happened throughout history. So there's some definitely longer, heavier poems. And then there are the shorter ones that make you think. The uh, face mask one, which was one of my favorites, I think it's very short and it's very to the point. It says, you know, we were mouthless for months. We could have been grinning. We could have been grimacing. We could have been glass. And so we must ask, who were we beneath our mask? Who are we now that it is trashed? So it's, you know, how did this pandemic change the world and change us? And now that the, you know, quote unquote masks are off, who are we now? I love that. Yeah. So I highly recommend this, even if poetry is not, you know, your usual genre. It's definitely not mine. But I was definitely moved by her words and I would recommend it to everybody. And I'll keep it on my shelf just to read again you know even several years when hopefully COVID is a distant memory you can pull it down off the shelf and just be reminded of everything that we went through and are going through I guess such a good record too that you know obviously hopefully this is something that is just read about in history books by the time our children and grandchildren are around but just to have this cemented in the world of a record of this time and the feelings of this time I think that's going to be really cool and powerful going forward and for future generations yes because not only during this time did we have this pandemic but I just felt like the world was and still is incredibly divided and this book is a stark reminder that we need to 
be more united and more understanding of our fellow people, you know, no matter the culture, race, you know, anything like that. We need to be more understanding. And she closes out the book with her inaugural poem, The Hill We Climb, which, again, I cannot stress it enough. If you have not seen the video of her reciting it, it's incredibly powerful. And I think it was very fitting that she closed the book with that because the last lines are the new dawn blooms as we free it for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. Which she can say it a lot better than me. She can recite (laughs) it a lot better than me, but it's just, you know, at the end of some of these, you know, really tough poems to read of very somber subjects there's again that you know be the light see the light in the situation and fight for it i love that it's very inspiring yeah and i can't wait very inspiring very mature for such a young poet and i you know that she's just one of those people that you can tell she's going to do a lot in her life she's already accomplished so much but we haven't heard the last from Amanda Gorman. I think we're going to see her a lot in the future. And I'm excited to see what she does and what other poems she releases. Because this was her first book of poems. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to. Yeah. Very inspiring. Okay. Yeah. So two very fitting authors, I think, for Women's History Month. One that made history and kind of forged a path for women and black women in particular and one who followed that path that she forged and is continuing to um you know inspire young women and do some really incredible things i love it yeah yeah i love how they had connections that went beyond what we even originally thought that they were Yes. Yeah. As you were talking about Maya Angelou, I was like, wow, this sounds exactly like what I read or, you know, the themes there were, you know, very connected and very powerful. Definitely. Well, yeah, I'm excited to uh, read Amanda's book and I definitely, I mean, I enjoy poetry, but it, like you said, it's not one that I typically gravitate to, but it makes me excited to read more poetry and to purposely pick up a book of poetry and see how it's styled and to try to dabble in that more because it sounds like an amazing collection from um, Amanda. So I can't wait to dive into that. Yeah. And one thing, if poetry isn't, you know, your first interest or your first pick is it's also very easy to read while you're also reading a novel of something that, you know, I could be reading one of our historical fictions or, you know, a mystery, but then also pick up Amanda's book and read, you know, two or three poems at a time. You don't have to sit down, although it's a very quick and easy read. It's, you know, you don't have to sit down and, you know, finish the entire book. You can go through it as you please so you know that's another thing to keep in mind and something I like is you can just go through it at your own pace and read a couple poems at a time definitely and it's less 
daunting than, you know, picking up a, a huge novel that you feel like, oh, I have to devote so much time to this. But with right. poems, you can get little snippets that are, are like complete stories, you know, within exactly. themselves. Um, so that is really cool. That's a good point to bring up. Yeah. And maybe it's honestly better to read it that way because then you can think more about the poem that you read rather than them all kind of bleeding together if you try to le- read it like a novel. Definitely. It gives you more time to reflect instead of just rushing through to finish. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, this was a good episode. I'm excited I know. Very different it. for us, um, but two very inspiring women that I'm excited for our listeners to hear about. Definitely. So thank you all again for listening. Um, hopefully our audio quality was better this time we are still learning at this whole podcast thing so we're doing the best we can i know some <laughs> of our past episodes have been a little spotty um and we had a little technical trouble recording this but hopefully you won't be able to tell it by the time we're done so, <laughs> right. well, still learning the whole text side of this the, yeah. the book reading and the talking is the easy part <laughs> yeah that stuff comes natural it's the exactly. technology <laughs> microphone editing type thing um but hopefully you guys still are enjoying the content um please follow us on instagram at life and lit pod that's where we talk about a lot of our books and post updates please um if you enjoy this podcast share it with your friends subscribe to our podcast give us a rating or a review on apple podcasts or spotify and share with any other book lovers that you know And as always, thanks for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.